right, good morning, 11 o'clock. Hey, my name is Savut, and I am the college and young adult pastor here. And uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I'm not, I'm dealing with sinus stuff, so my voice, I was losing my voice at the nine. So I had a lot of friends, and people were like, man, is your voice okay? You need to drink a lot of water. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm drinking hot tea. I'm trying everything. Uh, and so I told them I don't want to drink a lot of water because I'd rather deal with a bad voice than come up here and do the pee dance, okay? And so I don't know if you guys do. So anyways, I'm... If, but if I have to stop and drink water, just, just know my voice is, uh, it's a lot better now. So, um, <clears throat> funny story, I haven't told any funny stories because I just wanted to jump in, but I think we got some time here. Um, <clears throat> when I am not feeling well, right, even if it's a sinus, I feel like I'm dying, right? Anyone else? Uh, my, my poor wife has to deal with that, and she is so gracious with me and patient. Any other men deal with that? Yeah, your wife will probably tell you you're dealing with that. Okay. Um, so I hope to get through this and uh, without any issues with the voice, uh, but I'm so grateful to be here. I'm really grateful that you guys are here and even just gathering together as a body of, the body of Christ in one room is a gift to us, okay? And I wanna remind us of that, that, that we have this freedom to come in this room to worship the only name that is worthy to be praised, right? Just like, we, just like we sang over and over and that is a glimpse of heaven for us, right? That we will worship God forever and ever and ever. And so I don't want us to take for granted, not just when we're singing songs, but this idea of this life of worship that we're called to, right? Even outside of this church. And also this gift that we get to have to open up God's word together, right? That is his gift to us. And so before we jump in, I, um, if this is your first time, what we do is we go through books of the Bible, right? So we have been in the book of Romans, and we go through chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. So we'll be in chapter four today, but before we jump in, in chapter four, Last week, Pastor Corey taught chapter three of Romans, right? And he asked two pivotal questions. The first is, do we believe we need saving? And we have to answer that question, right? And so if we're in this room and we believe we do not need saving, then there's no reason for Jesus Christ, right? So that's the first part. Well, we also learned that we are incapable of saving ourselves. It is only by grace and faith that we're saved. And that's the second question. By what means are we saved? Paul talks about it. It is only by grace and faith that we're saved. We are not saved by our own efforts, by anything that we do, right? By our own works and by the law, which we'll talk about here in chapter four. So the question that I will tackle today is how is our faith? Church, how is our faith, right? And what do we put our faith in? So that's what we'll talk about in chapters four. So if you guys would... Um, you guys should receive a note handout. If you don't have the note handout, it's on the app, and everything I'm going to be saying is going to be on the screen too, okay? So if you guys want to bow your heads with me, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for how good you are. God, thank you that you are the only name that's worthy to be praised. Thank you for this gift that we have to gather in this room to worship you, to open up your word. Lord, I pray that you'll be with our time. I also pray that you be with every church in this community, in this town, that proclaims you as king over our lives, as the Lord and Savior, that you would encourage those churches, but encourage this community too, God, that we would leave here transformed, and would you speak to us through your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verses one through eight is the first part we'll go over. So what then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. 
if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. And just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. And so in chapter three, Paul tells us that we are saved by grace and faith, right? That's it, saved by grace and faith. We are incapable of saving ourselves, church. Through our own works, through our own efforts, we cannot save ourselves. Now, Paul uses Abraham as the first example here, and he also uses David. And the reason he uses Abraham is because he was well-known by this community, right? The people that he's writing to. So God justifies no one on the basis of works, right? Because none of our works, no one's works are righteous when we compare it to a perfect God, okay? None of our works are righteous when we compare it to a perfect God. It is only by faith and only by grace could Abraham have been justified by God. That's the same truth for us. It is only by faith, only by grace could we be justified by God too. Don't miss the point here though, church. Works are important, okay? Works are important. Works do not save us, but true saving faith always, it always result in fruit and obedience. It says that in James, right? James 2, he talks about it. Faith without works is worthless, right? If it's just faith without anything that shows that we are transformed, it's worthless. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about it, right? A tree will be known by its fruit. Christians, we will be known by the fruit that we bear. We don't have to walk around saying, look at me, I'm a Christian. We just need to walk around and love people as God loved them, right? We are advancing the kingdom. When we do that, people will know that we are Christ followers. This lifestyle right here, to work to be saved, will lead to two categories here, all right? There's one category of people that will believe, okay, if I just do all these things, it will lead to boasting and pride, right? And then there's another group that will say, man, if I just do all these things, it's gonna lead to despair and self-hatred. And, and why is that? So if, if I were to tell you, church, to, in order for you to be saved, you have to do all these things, right? Follow all these rules, do all these laws. Do that and you will be good, some of us want that life, right? Because it's like written, like, man, if I could just follow these and, and then do this, man, this will be so much easier. We want that, and then some of us will leave here, and it will lead to self-righteousness, right? Because we'll, we'll say, live, live lives that will say, look how good I am compared to everyone else. And then there's the other group of people, which I've been here too, right? Believing that if I can do more for God, then I will be saved. It will lead to despair and self-hatred because we will realize that we cannot fully obey God's law, right, on our own strength. And that's good news. And here's why that's good news. Because the more we fail, the more it should remind us and point us to the creator that is perfect, right? The more we fail, the more we realize we were created for a relationship with God to be desperately dependent on him and him alone, okay? It is not by our own strength. Genesis, Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6 here. And he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. 
So during this time, there were no Ten Commandments or written instruction about God, right? So what we see in Abraham's life is he did not have deep knowledge about God, right? He simply had saving faith. He simply had faith. That's good news for us, church, because in this room, you don't have to know a lot about God for you to be saved, right? We don't have to know all the answers. So if you're a, non, if you're a non-believer in here and you're like, man, this idea of God sounds cool, but I feel like I have to know more before I'm saved, right? So for us, if you've been walking with Christ for a long time in this room, you will also know that there is always something more to learn about God. And that's the beauty of following and worshiping God. We will never know all the answers until we're fully with him in heaven, okay? So we should always be growing. And here's what a saving faith is. A saving faith, right? Pastor Corey's been using this definition. And so this definition is gonna be important for our lesson today. A saving faith is a belief in, a trust in, obedience to, and reliance on Christ. That's the key word right there, right? On Christ at the very end. That's what our saving faith is in. Because as our relationship grows, right, as we fall in love with God, we learn more about him, he will give us wisdom on how to navigate in this life. Because this life is gonna be challenging, right? So I don't know if you know that. Christians, when we are living this life, there will be suffering, right? There will be trials, but in the midst of all that, God wants to give you wisdom. And praise God that he says, ask and it will be given to you, right? A lot in abundance. I'm gonna drink water real quick. So then he stops and he talks about David real quick here. David's reason, so if you know about David in the Old Testament and, and, and you know, if you grew up in church, you kind of know some of the stories of him. David's reasons to boast in himself, he was a king, right? And he brought peace and he established Jerusalem as his capital. He was a man after God's own heart, right? So he had a lot of reasons to boast. But sometimes we don't talk about the reality that David wasn't perfect, like there are failures in his life too. So David's reasons to be crushed by his sins, he was an adulterer and through conspiracy, a murderer. And so in 2 Samuel in chapter 11 this week, as I was reading this, what I saw was David did not start to live in sin when he laid eyes on Bathsheba. I believe what happened was when it says in uh, the first two verses, in the springtime, when the army would go out to war, David sent Joab out, but he remained, right? But he remained. And I think that is an important reminder for us, church, that this life, this Christian life, it is not just us and God, right? It is us, God, and a community of believers together. So the moment we say, I don't need community anymore, I just wanna live life, read the Bible on my own, is the moment we're gonna be like David and we are going to remain, right? We will give the enemy a foothold and sin will overtake our lives. So just a reminder, guys, stay connected. Find people to live life with that, that, that will encourage you, that will point you right back to him because we will need brothers and sisters to, to walk with us in the hard times of life. He quotes Psalm 32 here about God's grace to forgive lawless acts and never charge us with sin. Here's the key, key phrase here, if we repent. Right? What does that mean? If we repent, if we turn away from our old life, right, the garbage that's in our life right now, Turn away from that and run towards God, right? Go towards God. We have to change direction. And that's what David did. So we could point fingers at David and say, man, like, what's this king doing? Why did, why did he make all these mistakes? Guys, 
Church, we have all made mistakes. Romans 1, verses 28 to 31 talks about this. Describes not just David's sins, but our sins as well. Every single person in this room, our sins as well. Some of the things from that list, it says greed, envy, murder, adventures of evil, arrogant, heartless, and ruthless. We've wrestled with some of these things here. The good news is if we have saving faith in Christ, we can be honest about our life, right? Because he knows it, God knows it. We can be honest with him and honest about our life. We can repent and he will welcome us back with open arms, right? That's the God that we worship. There's a perfect God that wants you to come back to him. We will receive forgiveness because God is gracious. All right, next part, verses nine through 17. And just a heads up, I'm gonna say circumcision a lot and uncircumcised a lot, okay? When I say circumcised, I know, it's gonna be like, why does he keep saying that? When I say circumcised, think of outward works. Okay, I'll explain that a little bit more. All right, verses nine. So is this blessing only for the circumcised then? <clears throat> or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. All right, we're only halfway through. You see how many times I said that? Okay, so for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but it was through righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. And as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. So some things that Paul is trying to point to us here. We, we, we learned that Abraham was counted as righteous in Genesis 15, 6, all right? And then in Genesis 17, that's when he was circumcised. So he showed us that salvation was not from the Old Testament circumcision, right? It wasn't because of his works that he was saved. After the promise, it was 14 years until circumcision, right? So not by works. And then 430 years until the law. So it was not by the law either that we're saved. <clears throat> so circumcision did not add to Abraham's salvation. It simply attested to it, okay? Now here's, here's a little bit more about outward works and what that means in our lives. So this word, like I said, can be replaced by outward works. The reason Abraham got circumcised was simply because God told him to, okay? It was an outward response to an inward change. That's the same for us, church. When there's an inward change in us, there should be outward response. 
okay? Abraham wasn't saved by his works. We are not saved by our works, but because he was saved by faith and grace, he responded by obeying God and working to advance his kingdom. That's the same for us, church. When we realize that we are saved by faith and grace, we respond by obeying God and working to advance his kingdom. And that's key, right? It is no longer about our kingdom. It is all about his kingdom when we're saved, right? So life gets a little challenging, but it is filled with joy. He says it is not through the law, right? Because if the fulfillment of promise depends on our obedience to the law, then it's never going to happen. And why is that? Because we can never fully obey the law. The promise here that he's talking about is righteousness by faith. So this promise will be fulfilled by grace through faith. It is because of grace that God is able to fulfill the promise. Because if righteousness can be obtained by anything that we do, right? That's what Paul has been trying to say in the first three chapters. And in this chapter, if righteousness can be obtained by anything that we do other than faith in Christ, then faith is worthless. That's what he's saying, is worthless. Now, in, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in North American church, we live in a look at me culture, right? Look at social media, it's all about self. Our culture is saturated with that. Do what's best for you. And it's all about our achievements, right? And in this kind of culture, given faith, right? Faith in Christ, our relationship to God, the first priority of our lives, it is a lot more challenging than we may think, right? Because it's all because some of us will be tempted to say, man, look at what I'm doing. Look at all that I'm doing. Look at how impressive I am. In 2020, there are a lot of things going on, right? And, and, and we have to make a lot of decisions at this church. So Corey led us, right? And his leadership said, we will do what pleases God, not pleases men, right? We will care more about what God wants us to do and what he says than what maybe other churches or maybe some of the people that attend the church or outsiders may think. Yes, we care about that, but we have to care more about what pleases God than pleases men. And so some of us live this life that here on earth, we care so much more about what people think of us than what God thinks of us. We care so much more about pleasing people than pleasing men or pleasing God, right? And if we have that kind of idea and that lifestyle, it, it creates serious problems when it comes to our relationship with God. So doing God's will is a necessary result of faith, right? That's important, church. I get it. Doing God's will is important. But here's the key here. Do not lose sight of God's gracious gift of salvation to us. Now, what do I mean by that? When we are saved, some of us will say, man, my life is transformed. This is awesome. But once we get to the mentality that we can do this on our own, we get to the lifestyle of saying, all right, I'm doing life for God. It's all about God, yes. But then I forget to do life with God. Right? And that's, maybe some of us are in that boat right now. We're so busy doing life for God that we forgot we have to do life with him. We have to spend time in his word. We have to have that personal relationship. So don't lose sight of that gracious gift that was given to us. So verse nine, he asked this question, is this blessing only for the circumcised or the uncircumcised? And this week it spoke to me. So in Galatians three, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. You're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And so for us, church, if we are doing church right, 
if we're doing church the way that God wants us to, right? Not just in this room, not just in this building, but if we're Christ followers, we are the body of Christ. That means when we leave, we are still church, right? We are still the church. If we're doing church right, we are gonna be called to be countercultural, right? That means all the usual barriers, race and national background, economic status, all of that have no relevance at all when it comes to who can have faith in Christ, right? And that means in our lives, all kinds of people will walk into our lives and we have an option. Are we gonna love them like God loves them? Or are we gonna say, I don't know how to connect with them. I don't know how to relate to them. So I'm gonna walk narrow-minded, right? And keep the blinders on. Because there'll be people that will be struggling with addictions, right? Past addictions, praise God for that. There'll be people that will struggle with sexuality, praise God for that, right? They all need Christ too, all right? So maybe you're in this room and you're like, man, they have different political views, so I don't know how to relate to them, or I don't know how to love them. If you're a Christian, you have no excuse. And here's why. Because if we are Christ followers, we have the love of God inside of us that enables us to love all kinds of people, okay? Because everyone is made in the image of God. All right, last part, verses 18 through 25 here. And so Abraham believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced. That's a really important phrase for, for this morning. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone. This is good news for us, church, but it was also written for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, that's a promise, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul uses Abraham right here as an example of faith. And there's three things that I learned this week and maybe I want to encourage you guys too to look at this in his example of faith. It says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead. Right, when he received this promise, he's about 100 years old and the deadness of his wife's womb. So he could have looked at that and said, there's, there's no way this is gonna happen, right? I can't have a kid. Can't be the father of any nation. There's no way. Faith is not opposed to reason, but it is sometimes opposed to feelings and appearances. Right, what do I mean by that? Faith is going on something despite our weakness and despite how we feel. And the, there will be a lot of people in your life that may tell you, do what you feel, right? Hey, how do you feel about this? Do it, do it, right? If we are not in close relationship with God, that's a bad advice. If we are not in a close relationship with God, following our heart is a bad advice because that's what would lead us maybe to do something like David did, right? To jump into adultery, right? Or to have anger in our heart, to have all these things. There will be sin that overtakes our lives if we put our faith in our feelings. So Abraham did not do that. And that's, that's something that we need to be reminded of too. We cannot put our faith in our feelings. 
He also focused on God. Abraham pondered and he dwelled on the power of God. He believed that the God who had promised him a child was the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. I just imagine Abraham in this moment probably looking around, right, at creation, at nature, and realizing that there's a God who spoke all of that into existence. So if we're in here and you're like, man, I want to see God. Where's the power of God? Look at your neighbor, right? Look at creation, that he created everything by just speaking. That's the, that's the God that we worship, and that's the God that he's believing in here. And so in the middle of our trials, church, in the middle of our trials, in the middle of your storms, where is our focus? Some of you in this room might be going through a storm right now. You might be so overwhelmed, right? I can tell you from personal experience in my life, there have been many seasons in the middle of a storm where all I saw was a circumstance. That's all I saw, right? And so I was overwhelmed. And there were moments I wanted to give up. And I said, I can't do this. I can't see the other side of it. And so if that's you in this room, I want to encourage you, there is another side to it, right? Christ has already won. We already have victory. And so if in the middle of our storms, if our focus is not on God, we will not survive. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about this. He describes two kinds of people, right? The first kind is the one who hears the word and he does the word. That person will be like a wise person, right? He builds his house on a firm foundation. The storms come and they stood firm. Regardless of what comes at them, they stood firm in Christ because their faith was in Christ. The second person is one who hears God's word, but he does not do them. That's like a foolish person who builds his house on a sinking sand. The storms come and there was a great collapse. And what do I mean by this? So some of us in this room, we like the idea of God. We like the idea of having a relationship with God, of being a Christian. That sounds cool. But as soon as we start learning more about the biblical God, biblical Jesus here, and he, he, he shows us that it's not about our kingdom, that we are called to put to death our old life and things that our flesh enjoys, right? When he calls us to obey certain things and to do certain things, when it gets hard, we don't want anything to do with that God. We wanna create our own image of God, right? And follow that kind of God. But that's not the biblical Jesus here, okay? So when that happens, we hear God's word, but we don't do it. Man, I fall, I fall in that trap sometimes, right? There'll be moments where I'm coming to church, sounds good, message sounds good, I'm reading scripture, it sounds great, and then I leave and I do the same old crap, right? That may be us in this room. When that happens, the storms will come and there will be a great collapse. That's tragic news here. Some of us have experienced that here, but here's the even more tragic news. There will be people that will experience a great collapse in the next life too. He also focused on the word of God. He held on to God's word, okay? So Abraham was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Believing God is not simply thinking about God, guys. It's not simply just thinking about God, but it's trusting in his word. That means taking God at his word, right? This word never changes. Taking God at his word, even when there's nothing else. In church, there will be moments when there's nothing else. Right, there feels like there's nothing else in my life. Hold on firm to what God has done and what he said because feelings and popular opinion will contradict his promise. 
right? Look at what the world is doing. Look how the world is successful. It will contradict God's promise sometimes. We have to hold on to God's word. That's what Abraham did. That's what we have to do, church. It says that he was fully convinced. Abraham's faith was empowered by dwelling on God's power. So the more Abraham looked at who he was and who God was, the more fully convinced he became. Now, replace Abraham with us. The more we look at who God is and who we are, the more fully convinced we'll be. Because if our eyes are fixed on the creator, who is all powerful, who is all knowing, then we will realize we are his creation and he knows what's best for us. He created us for a relationship with him. That's what I'm fixing my eyes on, right? Not myself, not my, not my feelings, right? Not government, not politics, not anything else in this world, but God alone. Because there was nothing in Abraham that gave him strong faith, but there was everything in God that, give, that gave him the strong faith. That's the same for us. There's nothing in us that gives us strong faith. It is only, grace, it is only a gracious gift from God. We've said at this church a lot, there's nothing good inside of us except for Jesus Christ. Nothing good inside of us except for the Holy Spirit. So just like David, we can relate to him when he made mistakes. Abraham did not live a perfect life. What we saw here is Abraham did not live out his faith. His obedience was not perfect. His trust fluctuated, right? If you know the Old Testament, if you read a little bit about Abraham, you will know that him and Sarah tried to control the situation. So he slept, Abraham slept with another girl and had another kid because that, that maybe that's the way that God wanted, right? He wasn't fully trusting in God. And he lied about his wife and said, Sarah is my sister. That's not my wife. So in those moments, we can point fingers and say, man, how could Abraham do that? Church, we're the same too. We can relate to Abraham. Our obedience will not always be perfect. Our trust will fluctuate. But here's the thing, our faith can never extinguish. We, can, we have to continue to put our faith in Christ. He held on to God's promises. And so last week, Pastor Corey said this. When we become Christians, right, and if, and if we're trying to live out this life that God is calling us to live, it is not a perfect life, but it is a life of persistence. That means a life which clings on to what God has done and what he said a life that will continue to run to God over and over when everything else will fail. In church, that's the truth. Everything else will fail. Maybe some of you in this room is like, if I could just get married to this person, my life would be great. That person will fail you. If I could just have this much money, money will not fix all the problems, right? If I could just get this kind of job or get in this kind of school, we have all things. Here's the thing. If, I, if we're saying in here, if I could just have blank, if that blank is not faith in Christ, it won't fail us. But there is a God that will never fail us. Amen. And so what are we asked to believe in here? Abraham was asked to believe in this promise, right? That you have a kid, be the father of many nations. Something that he's never seen in church we are asked to believe what many witnesses have seen and verified already. We're celebrating that next week in the resurrection. Christ's resurrection is a gift for us to receive the same exact thing that Abraham received. By faith, we are made righteous. 
Do we have an urgency to share the good news with our neighbors? If we realize this is a gift that was given to me, do we have an urgency to share that with everyone else that we come into contact with? The last thing Paul says here, he was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus Christ put on the cross for us and he was raised for our justification. Only Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life could be the atoning sacrifice that can deal with the sin question. It is Christ alone, right? That's it. He's the only one that can say, I'm dying for you and that God would accept that But the resurrection proved it, right? The resurrection, when he conquered the grave, that's what proved it. So, because anyone could say, hey, I'm dying for your sins, I'm dying for you, but it is only Christ that said, I'm alive now. I conquered the grave three days later. And we celebrate that next weekend. And so church, for us to seek salvation by anything that we do is to simply look at Jesus and say, that's not enough. Jesus, what you did for me on the cross and the resurrection, it's not enough, I gotta add to the equation. And so with this gift that we've been talking about today, what do we do with it? So for non-believers in this room, continue to ask questions. Continue to ask questions. At the end of the message, there will be a pastor up here to my right and your left. Ask that person any question you want. Keep searching, keep searching, keep knocking and you will find. You'll find the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what the Bible says. That's what we believe. That Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Because we cannot save ourselves. Right? Church, we cannot save ourselves. That's for all of us. So for non-believers specifically, it's the way you're doing life. Is that working? Have you found true life? Have you found true, true hope in that? If not, we know of a way. Right? His name is Jesus. And for Christians, do we have an urgency in, in, in us to share the good news with our neighbors? For some of us in this room, most of us probably, we've received the good news, right? Our life has been transformed. We don't just sit here and do nothing about it. We have to share that with our neighbors. And so maybe you're listening, you're like, yes, but I share with my neighbors, right? In my small group, I share with my neighbors, right? With some of my family members. The real question is, who is our neighbor? Some of us, we love to pick and choose our neighbors, right? I mean, I would too if I had the choice, but that's not an option here. We don't get to choose our neighbors. Our neighbors, Jesus says, is anyone in need. Everyone that we come into contact with is our neighbor. Doesn't matter if you're like, man, I can't relate to them or I don't know how to talk to them. There is a Holy Spirit inside of us that enables us to do that. So do we understand that every soul matters? Everything is on the line here. Because everybody that we come into contact with will either spend eternity with Jesus or eternity without him. And if we truly believe that, there will be a sense of urgency in us to share the good news. So for all of us, when we look at this gift that God would send his only son to die for us, when we look at that gift, does it bring us to our knees and surrender? I think myself included sometimes, There are moments when I become numb to my relationship with God. So I just enter into a room, I sing some songs, I kind of listen, and then I walk out. Maybe some of us, that's kind of our life. That's our Christian life, right? That's not living a life of worship. That's not living a life worthy of the gospel. 
when we think about God, it should draw us to our knees and surrender. We should be in awe when we think about there's a God who created us who wants a relationship with us. And so what's our motive, okay? This is a question that I've been wrestling with this week. Are we working to earn God's love? Do you believe that there's something else that has to be added to what Jesus did for us? Or do you believe that what he did is enough? And so through that, the next part, we're working from an overflow of God's love for us, right? Because of the inward change, there should be outward works, but we have to work from an overflow of that, right? We work because we are in Christ. We don't try to earn his love because he's already lo- he already loves us right where we are. And this statement right here was really encouraging to me. I need to, need to be reminded of this. Church, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love us less. Nothing. He loves you right now where you're at. He meets us where we're at, but he does not want us to remain the same. He wants us to look more like Christ. So do we believe this? And you're like, yeah, I believe that for sure. So do we believe it when it comes to other people? Maybe the people that we've grown up to hate. Maybe the people that we've grown up to say, I don't know how to relate to them or I don't know what they're, I don't know um, the things that they're going through, so I'm just going to ignore them, right? Maybe they have a different political view than us and like, I don't know if God loves them as much as he loves me. God loves them just the same way he loves you. So what what would it look like to rest in this truth? What would that look like? Do we believe Jesus when he said, it is finished? It's finished for your sins, for my sins. I'm the only one that can do this. It's finished. And then just like Abraham, we see here, it said Abraham was fully convinced. Church, are we fully convinced in what God has done, what he said? And here's three things that Jesus said. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be provided for you. Right, when we understand that it is all about his kingdom first, my relationship with God is the priority of my lives, and then everything else will be taken care of. Do we, are we fully convinced in that? Are we fully convinced when Jesus says, hey, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you exhausted right now? Are you overwhelmed right now? Have you tried to put your faith in all other things that isn't Christ? He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And then last thing here, you will have suffering in this world. That's a promise, right? So Christians and and non-believers in here, so if you're in this room, you think that the Christian life is supposed to be perfect and easy, look at what Jesus said. You will have suffering in this world, but praise God that it does not end there. He says, be courageous, take heart, I have overcome the world. Right, are we fully convinced that he's overcome the world? Are we fully convinced that we already have victory in Christ? Are we fully convinced, church? Man, last night we were um, praying over there and and, um, Kyle said something that that really just encouraged me and reminded me. He said, man, in, in the darkest times of our lives, where would we run if we didn't have faith in Christ? So church, Right now, maybe you're going through the darkest times of your life. You could try to run to everything else in this world and they will fail you. It will fail you. God's word does not fail you. God does not fail you. 
That's the only place that we should run. I can't imagine in my own life if I was to run to other things. I've tried it, right? It does not work. I've tried it over and over. It is only my faith in Christ that was able to get me through. When we lose somebody that we love, the only way that we are able to continue to live in this world to advance his kingdom is because we know that there's a greater kingdom, right? It is his kingdom and not ours. So how is our faith, guys? That's the main question. How is our faith? How is our belief in, trust in, obedience to, and reliance on Christ? How is that going? If it's a reliance and belief and trust and obedience to anything else, we're gonna be disappointed, not in this life, not just in this life, but in the next life as well. So what is our faith in? And does our life show that we are fully convinced? We're fully convinced at everything that God has done for us, everything that he said and everything he's going to do for us. Are we fully convinced in him? Because if we are, the fruit will show, right? A tree will be known by his fruit. Christians, we will be known by the fruit we bear because we're fully convinced in what God has done. Would you guys bow your heads?